This is Shots Gonna Fall, the Penn State Basketball Podcast. Introducing your hosts. They were once nitwits, and they have now graduated to professional dimwits. Here are Steve Travis and Evan Smith. Welcome one and all to a special edition of Shots Gotta Fall, the premier, the best, the only Penn State basketball podcast. My name is Steve Travis, joined as always by Evan Smith. Uh, if you are listening to this by now, I'm sure you already know that uh, it has been widely reported, both nationally and locally, that uh, head coach Micah Shrewsbury is leaving Penn State uh, and is going to be announced as the new head coach uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, CBS Sports is reporting uh, as soon as Friday that they will make that announcement official. Um, the deal is reportedly uh, for seven years and uh, $4 million per year. Um, that is the very basic uh, extent of this change uh, as we know it. Um, Evan, just before we get into the details of kind of how we got here uh, or how it's being reported, at least that we got here, um, just your initial, just first, you know, first look taste, uh, you know, first look um, reaction to uh, to all of this and then kind of what's going on. Sure. We, we had gone, you know, listen, this, is, this isn't exactly news, right. That this was being considered. It's been known for a while. It was rumored back in January, right. When Notre Dame coach Mike Bray said he wasn't, he wasn't going to come back next year. So this has been out there for a while. It picked up steam again, about two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, so I might wonder who was this, was this going to happen no matter what it almost feels inevitable. I mean, the main thing as everyone knows is Michael Shrewsbury is from Indiana. Right? It's a basketball-rich state, not unlike our Commonwealth, but it is a basketball-rich state. Shrewsbury had no ties to Penn State, and Steve's going to take us on the journey a little bit more about what happened, but to me, that's really what this came down to in the end, is that he had no allegiance to stay here. Um, the the money's rumored to be similar to what uh, Penn State had been offering. Um, you know, Obviously, we don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem as though it's a it's a massive raise by going to Notre Dame. In fact, some might argue it's, it's even or even a touch less. Um, Steve, my real takeaway, though, is when we did our last podcast after the Texas loss, and I said I, I was I was okay with the loss when it happened, but I was more frustrated looking back the next day when we recorded. And I wonder if part of me knew that this was why, is that this was going to be the end of this run. And to be so close maybe to a Sweet 16 or continue to advance the NCAA tournament, I'm wondering if in the back of my head I thought, well, that that was it. That's what we're going to get from from this regime um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of questions that come with that things we're going to be discussing a lot all off season. Number one is, was it worth it? That's not, what we're going to talk about tonight because I think tonight is, is more, it's sad. Um, as a fan, first and foremost, I'm very frustrated that it now seems like we're a stepping stone job. Uh, it did not have to be that way. Uh, I don't necessarily know if it was that way until the last two years that hurts me as a fan and alum and someone who cares about this school and the sport. Um, but it's a it's a sad day, even if it's one. I, I got to give you more credit here, Steve. I think you kind of always thought this was it was going to go this way. I was I thought there was a maybe 50, 50, 50 or sixty forty chance we get to retain them. Um, isn't going to happen, and, and and the season ended four days ago. Four days ago. That's how long this took. Wonder if it was always destined to go this way, Steve. Uh, so I'll get into I guess my personal emotion about all of this um, in a little bit, but I, I kind of want to give some 
some facts or at least some details uh, as to the story behind all of this, uh, as far as we know them. And a lot of what I'm about to say um, has either been reported by Nate Bauer at BWI or corroborated by him. Um, I am not going to sit here and pretend to have any sources or access to any inside information myself. And I am also not going to sit here and try to take credit for other people's work. Um, so uh, anything you hear that uh, I'm about to talk about here has, uh, again, either been reported by Nabauer specifically or has been corroborated uh, by him or by uh, some member of the uh, accredited national media. Again, I myself have no uh, access to any direct information and I am not in the business of trying to steal other people's work. Um, what I will say at the start of this is that this is the third consecutive coach, uh, the third consecutive regime that has ended following a, an appearance or uh, an assumed appearance uh, in the case of 2020 uh, of an, the NCAA tournament. We had Ed the Chellis take his team to the NCAA tournament in 2011. He left the offseason following to take a job uh, at Navy. Uh, Pat Chambers in, in 2020. Um, again, the team that was uh, all but assured an NCAA tournament berth before the uh, COVID shutdown. Um, you know, we know the deeper details behind um, why he resigned, but ultimately he did resign. He left the position. Um, and uh, again, Penn State was was left in, in another coaching search after the interim year by head coach Jim Ferry. And now uh, in 2023, following their uh, uh, second NCAA tournament appearance in 20-something years, uh, Coach Micah Shrewsbury leaves to go to Notre Dame. So this is three times Penn State has now been to the mountaintop um, over the last uh, quarter of a century, uh, all of which to face almost immediate disappointment thereafter. Uh, so how did we get here? Um, I want to take you back to the summer of last year. If you recall, as Evan and I talked about uh, ad nauseum on some of our earlier podcasts, Penn State was in the hunt for some pretty good high-level recruits, uh, a lot of top 50 guys. Um, and we were in the final running for, I think, four of them, five of them. Um, and they were all the same week, Steve. It was one week where all four of them committed. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at it on the surface and, and you're thinking, wow, this is really good for, for Coach Shrewsbury and his first real recruiting cycle that he's able to drum up such interest in this program um, that he's able to get, you know, so close on these on these top level guys. So we had had a taste of it um, earlier uh, with the likes of um, uh, of Owe, who ended up uh, committing to Oklahoma. We had a little bit of it with uh, Derek Lively, who ended up committing to Duke. But we were we were in on a lot of these guys who were you know really high level top 100 guys um, who ultimately didn't end up uh, choosing Penn State. And as you recall, obviously, uh, only one of our top pro prospects of uh, this past recruiting cycle ended up committing to Penn State in the form of uh, Kerry Booth. Uh, and in the immediate aftermath of that um, of that recruiting cycle, uh, Micah Shrewsbury uh, privately had conversations with the athletic department um, uh, and, and high level members uh, of the of the Penn State administration, saying, "Look, you know, largely some of the reasons why we're not able to bring in these higher level of recruits, or why I'm 
why it's it's such a struggle on the recruiting trail now is because of the introduction of, of NIL. NIL, for those unfamiliar, a very broad definition um, is, is name, image, and likeness. It is the legal framework with which um, student athletes are allowed to be compensated for their, uh, their play uh, in, in the NCAA. That is, again, very broad, um, but that is, on, on a basic level, what NIL is. And Shrewsbury came to the administration of Penn State essentially saying, we don't have enough of this to compete uh, in, a, in a conference level on a national level. Um, Amani Hansberry in particular, uh, who ended up uh, going to Illinois. Um, Illinois, um, by many accounts, has far more NIL to devote to its basketball program than Penn State did. Uh, and Shrewsbury noted that as one of the reasons that he wasn't able to grab that particular player to come to Penn State. That was privately, though. He didn't come out publicly and, and you know, criticize the NIL or lack of NIL until he had an interview with Nate Bauer in December in which he said um, in so many words that, you know, Penn State is 14th out of 14 teams in the Big Ten in NIL. We, we don't have the funds to compete. I, I need help. Again, it's not a direct quote, but that's essentially what he's saying. And he's saying it to everyone. He's broadcasting it now out in public. That's in December. Um, so we go through the rest of the regular season. Um, we know that, you know, we, we've heard those calls now for, for NIL. Uh, but the season goes on. Penn State has its ups and downs, as we've chronicled on this podcast before, and they eventually reach the NCAA tournament. But Evan talked about the the first kind of somewhat rumblings of other programs being interested in Micah Shrewsbury came around January. So the timeline now, you have summer, recruits are lost. December, there's a public kind of um, – condemnation by Shrewsbury on the lack of NIL funding. Now, January, you start to hear Shrewsbury's name come out in the, in the rumblings for, uh, I believe both Notre Dame and, and Georgetown were, were rumored at the time. Is that right, Evan? Well, Georgetown, I think wasn't, they hadn't made a decision on Patrick Ewing yet. He had struggled. Notre Dame was the one that was started in January. Georgetown became a lot more prevalent in March, but it was okay. definitely Notre Dame in January. And that was Dana O'Neill of the athletic who kind of first broke that. Okay, so this was this is January now. So we are we are firmly in the midst of, of the season. And at this point, it is at least if it's known to Dana O'Neill at the Athletic, it is almost assuredly known to both Coach Shrewsbury and the Penn State Athletic Department that there is outside interest in this coach who now has told you, both privately and publicly, that he is treading water and he needs help to cement the uh, the future of, of this program. Time goes by and uh, several Penn State fans uh, start their own sort of NIL fundraising collective because they can see that um, NIL is a problem and they want to do their own part to help Penn State basketball kind of gain its footing in, in that area. This is a fan-run fundraiser. I can't repeat that often enough. This is this is entirely fan run. On their own time, they they raise whatever money they can in this fundraiser time. Once Penn State is uh is is in the postseason in the Big Ten tournament, they raise this money and it's over four thousand dollars that they raise of their own money to devote to success with honor, which is the um Penn State Athletic Department sort of 
um, endorsed NIL initiative. So a lot of this money goes funnels directly to to um, to success with honor um, that that is fan run. And then once the Big Ten tournament starts, now you start hearing, you know, as I've been talked about, you start hearing about Georgetown now. And Notre Dame is still kind of in the ether as well. You're still hearing like Notre Dame and now Georgetown is kind of interested as well. And all in all, we're, we're not hearing anything from Penn State just yet in terms of what, what, are we, what are we offering here to kind of sweeten the pot or try to get the ball rolling a little bit. And Micah Shrewsbury isn't asked about any of this until the Big Ten tournament. He's asked by David Jones. David Jones asks him pretty much straight up. You know, I actually, I believe, I, I want to correct myself. I believe the Collegian or Center Daily Times asked him first. They asked the question first during the Big Ten tournament. David Jones didn't ask until the NCAA tournament. Big uh, so, uh, reporter for the uh, Center Daily Times, I think it was John Sauber, asked Micah Shrewsbury at that, at a press conference during the Big Ten tournament, um, kind of, if he saw his future essentially long-term at Penn state, Michael Shrewsbury said, you know, gave a, a very uh, kind of coach speaky answer saying, you know, I'm focused on my team right now. I, I can't think about any of that stuff. I I'm just, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm going to get to, um, you know, I want to see this, this team through, and then I can think about those sorts of things. Uh, and then David Jones asks Shrewsbury kind of to prod a little bit deeper uh, in the NCAA tournament, he says, is it, is it a yes or a no or an I don't know question when he asks pretty much straight up, do you see yourself as the Penn State coach next season? Michael Shrewsbury said, it's an I don't know question. And so that is the first real like setting off of the alarm bells. Of, that was the first real indication that from the coach that he was a little unsure of his future at Penn State. And Steve, give him credit. That was an honest answer. We didn't sure. like it at the time. There's a reason we didn't like it because he was being honest. He didn't want to flat out say no. And who knows when, you know, if there was something actually he knew that was going to happen then. But, but I don't think we all took that quite as seriously as we needed to. That was a really honest and significant answer. He, he was being truthful with us. It just wasn't the answer we wanted to hear. We then heard reports from John Rothstein. This is during the NCAA tournament. I believe it was just following – Penn State's victory over Texas A&M in the first round, that sources were indicating to him that Penn State was preparing a long-term financial commitment to keep Micah Shrewsbury in State College. We had no details as to what that meant, but Watson was reporting that Penn State was, at that time, starting to pull together some cash and to try to keep Micah Shrewsbury uh, in, in state college. Then Penn state loses in the NCAA tournament to Texas. And as early as Monday, really, some of the stories started coming out as to what the details were of what Penn state was offering and what Micah Shrewsbury was asking for. Uh, um, now Nate Bauer reported that Micah Shrewsbury asked at a bare minimum for 750,000 to a million dollars of uh, just NIL funds from from Penn State that that was what he felt he needed at a bare minimum to compete in the NIL space warranted or not that's what he believes that he needs to compete and he had told Penn State this again back in the summer 
Fast forward to this week in March, late March, uh, again, according to reporting uh, by Nate Bauer, that Penn State's offer only allowed for $400,000 of NIL support to Micah Shrewsbury. So this is now, you know, August, September, October, November, December, January, March. There's eight months of essentially sounding the alarm bells of, hey, I need more of this money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need more of this money to compete. The assumption here is that Penn State didn't take this call seriously until the NCAA tournament and other schools started calling. And they're like, oh, oh, no, we need to do whatever we can to keep them. They were able to scrounge up whatever money they had, but they still fell well short of what Micah Shrewsbury believed that he needed uh, to be able to compete. And so that was the offer that Penn State had. Now, from a, a, a salary perspective, Penn State's offer was uh, apparently very generous. It was for over $4 million a year, which is similar to what uh, the Notre Dame offer is reported to be um, uh, for coach's salary. Um, and Steve, let's just talk about that $4 million number, if, if I can frame that a little bit. Sure. That is by far the most money Penn State had would ever have spent on a basketball coach. Pat Chambers never made $2 million. What's funny is we don't never know exactly what Shrewsbury's first contract was here. I believe we're all somewhere in the ballpark of around $2 million. It's about what we roughly had heard. I think most people kind of agree on that. So that's after two years doubling the salary. $4 million is a top 20 salary in the sport. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. And I just saw on on, on um, a source that this is Matt Painter money at Purdue. I mean, this is this is high level money that Notre Dame paid him and that Penn State was offering him. So go ahead. So Penn State offers Shrewsbury uh, a significant raise uh, in his contract, um, but wasn't able to meet his uh, his NIL requirements. He then meets with Notre Dame yesterday. So we're recording this on on Wednesday evening. He meets with Notre Dame on Tuesday in Pittsburgh. Uh, Notre Dame flies into Pittsburgh. Again, this is all reported by Nate Bauer. Notre Dame flies into Pittsburgh. Micah Shrewsbury meets with them, at which point he receives an offer from Notre Dame. Um, I don't know if it's the exact offer that uh, is being reported that he, he's uh, agreed to now, but it's an offer. He gets an offer from Notre Dame on that trip. He then comes back to Penn State, and uh, it was reported as early as today, earlier on Wednesday, that he was still in talks with Penn State. Um, so this is just my personal um, uh, assumption at this point, or my opinion, is that Micah Shrewsbury gets an offer from Penn State, meets with Notre Dame, says, this is what they're offering me, asks Notre Dame, um, what, what can you do in response to this? Notre Dame gives Micah Shrewsbury their pitch, makes him their offer. Micah Shrewsbury then does what I think is the noble thing to do and takes it back to his employers at Penn State and says, this is what they're offering me. Can you match that? Can you exceed it? Can you come closer to where I want to go? And good, bad, or indifferent, Micah Shrewsbury gets his answer. Uh, and uh, presumably it is not the answer that he wanted. Uh, he talks it over with his family and he makes the decision ultimately to um, head to Notre Dame. So those are um, the reported facts of the situation um, as we know them. So to try to now take some of my personal opinion 
uh, and emotion as a fan into this. I, Evan, I cannot help but feel a lot of frustration on pretty much all sides of this coin. Um, there is a lot of, I think, I don't want to say blame necessarily, but there is a lot of bad feelings to go around uh, to many different people. I can start with the head coach. I don't know necessarily what Micah Shrewsbury thought that he was getting when he took a job at Penn State, but any sort of cursory research into its prior dealings with past coaches uh, in past administrations should have given him a pretty big red flag that basketball wasn't really a priority here. And it was going to take a Herculean effort to get that mindset to change. And benefit of the doubt, maybe he believed or was led to believe that he could be the guy to do that. And so he took the job fully believing that he could turn the tide um, in terms of basketball fortunes at Penn State. Is that misguided? You know, I'll leave that up to you. But yes, I, go ahead. I, I think I'll say yes. I think that so there's certainly I think there's certainly some, you know, shame on you to go around uh, to Micah Shrewsbury because it, by all accounts, it doesn't seem like money was really, you know, salary was really the big thing that was the difference between uh, us and Notre Dame. Um, you know, I don't want to speculate on what NIL, uh, what uh, Notre Dame's NIL package looks like, but, um, you, know, you know, it's been rumored that their NIL packages are not that great either at Notre Dame. So if it is really about just, being closer to home, just going back to Indiana, being a coach in Indiana, you know, it does feel a little bit like he wasted our time over this last these last two years. So that's that's a little bit of you know shame number one. But in my opinion, I think the larger shame goes to the Penn State administration and the Penn State athletic department. And I'm not about to get any friends uh, or uh, any guests on the pod with with what I'm about to say. But I think this is a we have seen a pattern uh, to use a uh, to use an office uh, analogy here, an office quote, a, a pattern of disrespect from the Penn State Athletics Administration to its head coaches. Um, Pat Chambers got um, the the only support Pat Chambers got at Penn State was the length of his contract. I mean, he was here for ten years. Um, he was given time. That's that's pretty much the only support that uh, the athletic department gave Pat Chambers when, when he was here. In my and opinion. coming out of the scandal, that was fair, right? I mean, he sure. hit, hit some some lean years in the beginning because no one wanted to step foot on campus, so that kind of made sense. He was he was given uh, some facility upgrades um, as well. The um, the locker rooms, uh, the training rooms, uh, some of that was was given to him, um, but. You know, it doesn't seem like the the salary was really there. Certainly, the money for the assistant hires wasn't there, um, and you know, he was largely doing a lot of kind of grassroots marketing on his own to try to benefit the program while while he was here. And I don't believe that's unfair to say that. Um, fast forward now to what has been widely accepted as a as a golden goose hire when you bring in Micah Shrewsbury, I mean, this is a guy who 
every national pundit um, was lauding as look at the, he's the guy who who figured out Jalen Brown. He's the guy who um, you know served under the helm of of Matt Painter and Brad Stevens, and he's this this offensive guru. He's this NBA mindset guy. You know he can he can save a program. He can turn a program around. And for an administration to have someone like, like a Micah Shrewsbury and not immediately ask how high when he says jump is a little bit frustrating to me because Penn State is not in a position to play leverage or um, show me what you got when it comes to basketball. Penn State should take any advantage it can have uh, from a basketball perspective and run with it. And I think to a certain degree, Penn State doesn't didn't know what it had with Micah Shrewsbury and they paid for it. They thought they could just kind of coast by using the same kind of uh, underground backhanded tactics that they had been using for basketball, kind of treating basketball as a second rate program and they hoped that that would work with Shrewsbury. And then he started to have some success and sound the alarm a little bit more. And then they ran, uh, you know, I'm going to use this analogy that um, others have used. They started to run the fire drill and say, oh, crap, now we need to gather all of this stuff or we might lose him. And they did lose him. Um, as I talked about at the start of this podcast, this is now the third consecutive coach who has brought this program success and then immediately said, I don't, I don't want to deal with you guys anymore. I'm out. I, I can't, I can't cope with this anymore. That says something about them. Sure. But I would argue it says a lot more about the Penn state athletics department. And it says a lot more about how the Penn state athletics department treats its men's basketball coaches. Evan, how do you feel about what I just said? Well, I think, there's, I mean, there's a lot of truth to everything you just said. I, I think it's important, like you said, there's a lot of blame in a lot of places. And I'm glad you didn't um, pass on, on playing like a Shrewsbury a little bit because I think he's absolutely a part of this. Um, I think if you kind of – if you really, really had honesty, truth serum with him, this is probably the plan, right? We talked a lot about last year how – there really wasn't development of the players, the younger players. It was, you know, playing the older guys. And we said, you know, kind of save face to keep, keep the crews in the door. This year he played all the oldest guys in the, in the team possible, achieved farther than we ever thought it would happen. And that was fantastic. But again, I, you have to wonder, was that behind all of this? I'm not saying he chose his rotation based on it, but it does kind of look like he was, he was trying to make a splash that he could use as a stepping stone. So that hurts, but I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. And, and I kind of, um, you know, We've been fans of this program for a long time, so this isn't necessarily news, but you know, this is a football school. We joke about that, but it's true. It's a football school. The, the real detriment that Penn State has to face that a lot of other schools don't, and we talked about this a lot with James Frank in the last few years, is all the athletic programs that it has to support, far more than almost every other institution. And it's going to force you know, even the profit makers, which is obviously football and a little bit basketball, um, it, they're going to have to be leaner than other schools. And this goes back to the Paterno time where they expected you to do less with more and, and it can work and, and it does work. Um, I think it's something that, you know, uh, Pat Chambers, you know, try to tell us about. And so he realized, well, it's not going to work. So I'm doing my own marketing. 
He was always out there, right? I think you're putting free parking passes on on you know, cars downtown. He's doing all that kind of stuff. And he's just going to recruit the heck out of Philly and, and create those relationships, right? And that, I think, did work. Now, would it have sustained long-term success? We'll never, have, we'll never get the opportunity to know. But he did kind of figure it out. Michael Shrewsbury now, obviously, with NIL, and, and I've kind of argued that the, the NIL is almost as more of a more official um, way to designate the issues that were already there. Right. Obviously, the NIL doesn't come from the administration like you kind of talked about when you explained this, but there's still an element of where's the support coming? What structure is there to exist? And I think, you know, I'd love to know what like a Jim Ferry or a Pat Chambers or even Ed DeChalice is thinking today. They're saying, yeah, we get this. We know we had to deal with it, too. The difference is they didn't um, were, were two differences. They didn't bolt, but they also were not nearly as as uh, hot a commodity as Michael Shrewsbury. Um, so it isn't this isn't a surprise. And it goes back to what you said in the very beginning. Michael Schubert had to know about this. This isn't news, right? The fact that, I mean, his contract when he signed it two years ago was already the highest contract we ever paid for a basketball coach. He already got way more money for the assistance we've ever gotten. He got another position, right? The recruiting director, recruiting coordinator, uh, Brian Starr, forget exact title. He got a lot right away, right? So it, it's hard when he comes back two years later and wants more. Listen, I'm an economics major. You get what the market asks for. The market says you can get this, you go ask for it. But it shouldn't be a surprise that this is the way it ended. And it goes back to, well, this is a guy who had no Penn State ties. He had no ties to the entire Commonwealth. What makes makes him think he's going to stay, right? For Franklin, Penn State is a dream job, and that's why he wanted to stay here. Even when USC came calling, we know it was Pat's dream job, right? He wasn't leaving for anything. I think it's interesting. A, a Twitter account that I follow is very good on Penn State basketball. Um, the title is independent site, PennStateHoops.com, but the actual um, uh, it's actually at Penn State Hoops. He said, in a long thread, but I want to read one tweet. When Shrewsbury essentially no commented a question about whether he would return in the midst of a Big Ten tournament run, it was probably already over. You tell your wife you're listening to other offers, marriage is over. I couldn't agree more. And I think this, it's in some ways to me, Steve, it feels like it was always going to end this way. Um, you had actually mentioned two years ago when Shrewsbury was hired that you could see him not being here very long. But I don't think anyone thought it would be two years. It's going to sting for a while. And, and you know, part of why we're doing this, we started recording like 25 minutes after the news broke. We wanted to be ready for you guys because we know we've already got tweets from listeners and whatnot. Like, this sucks. It sucks that we lost a coach that got us the NCAA tournament. It sucks that now we're a, a stepping stone job. Um, and, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, you know, a bunch of the players were already tweeting out uh, Adam Fisher, assistant head coach, or associate head coach um, on the team now, that he'd be a good candidate. I think he'll be considered. He does have some Penn State ties, um, which is nice. He actually coached for Pat and Micah. Um, but I, I don't know if we're really ready to start looking at who's going to be the next coach. I think it's just more, it's sad that we got here, but Steve, I think I just feel like it was inevitable. That's really how I feel. How do you I, feel? I remember you and I sat down very very shortly after after this hire um privately and um I, I remember you told me something to the effect of you know do you do you really see him being here in like five years like do you think that this is a destination for him or do you think it's just like you said a stepping stone a, a method for which to go somewhere else. And at the time I 
I think I hedged towards he would he would be here for a while, but I admittedly didn't know. And I think looking back now with hindsight, the, the signs were there that this was not necessarily where he envisioned himself being long term. Um, you know, he talked about Indiana a lot. Um, and obviously it's his upbringing. It's where he's from. Uh, it's where he, you know, it's where he grew up. He talked about Boston a lot. He talked about being a coach on the Celtics a lot um, and, and how that's helped him. Um, he didn't talk too much about his love for this university, his love for this, this area, the school, this town, um, it's people, it's fans. Um, he always seemed sort of, and again, maybe this is, um, uh, what do they call it, revisionist history, but he always seemed sort of distant in regards to Penn State athletics. Um, and so, so maybe it was inevitable. Maybe it was always just, I need to, you know, I use the phrase proof of concept a lot. I need to prove that what I am capable of can work. And then once I prove that, I don't need this job anymore because I it, can get any job that I want. It's it's like the Bill O'Brien, right? It, it's I think we were wondering this whole time, is Shrewsbury O'Brien or is he Franklin? Well, today we learned he's O'Brien. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. Right? There's no rule against it. It's not like he didn't work hard and, and do well by the school and he's here. We won an NCAA tournament game a week ago, right? Like that happened. But it's still frustrating. And for me, it's easier to excuse Bill O'Brien because of all the stuff they need to deal with beforehand, right? The huge paternal scandal and whatnot. Like he, he did a really good job uh steadying the ship, so to speak. This was not a ship that needed to be steadied. You and I, Steve, have looked into the data and we both argued before Michael Shrewsbury came on board was perhaps the best four-year span in school history. Certainly according to the metrics, if not the actual results. So it's, I don't know. I just keep going back to, it seems like this was inevitable. If he had left for Indiana or left for Purdue, cool. I get it, right? One could argue the Penn State gig's equal to the Notre Dame gig. At least, Notre Dame obviously is a better yeah, history. Yeah, there's no was, doubt about that. Better I was going to get into that. It's, okay, go ahead. Go it ahead. seems like, well, I don't have anything really detailed, but it seems like there are a lot of parallels between Notre Dame and Penn State as it relates to its basketball program. Uh, as you as you mentioned, Evan, uh, Notre Dame men's basketball um, does have a, a lot more success than Penn State. Uh, they've reached the tournament uh, more often um, and have, uh, under um, Mike Bray, been able to, to do, you know, uh, to go farther uh, for uh, you know, a more consistent period of time. But you know, anybody who's anybody in sports will tell you that Notre Dame is not a basketball school. Notre Dame is a football school. Notre Dame may be just as much, if not more, of a football school than Penn State is. Heck, Notre Dame, NBC pays Notre Dame a lot of money to be the exclusive broadcaster of their home games, of their football home games. Gotta love watching Navy at Notre Dame. Uh, that's worth it. Worth everything. Um, so, if, if, Micah Shrewsbury has any designs of turning Notre Dame into a, um, a basketball school or at least a, a school on equal footing basketball and football, I would argue that that is a much more difficult task at Notre Dame than it is at Penn State. Um, 
So I think that's 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 a little bit confounding to me on that end. Notre Dame also, again, reportedly, allegedly, has its own problems with, with NIL, has its own problems with transfers. Um, it's very difficult to transfer into Notre Dame. Um, it's a Catholic school, um, and they take those requirements very seriously. Um, they take academics very seriously at Notre Dame. Um, no, we do that. We do that here. So let's let's you know while we're comparing, we do that here at Penn State. We sure. take the academics seriously. I, I guess I just it where it's hard for me to believe is that history, yes, is on Notre Dame's side. Current success is on Penn State. I, actually, just so everyone knows, we're on a two-game winning streak against Notre Dame. We're two and zero against them in their history. <laughs> Both NIT wins, right? Which is pretty cool. Utterly irrelevant now. Um, I, I think that's what makes it hard is that it's it's not a huge jump up in in the program. It's not a jump up at salary at all based on what Penn state was offering. It's at least similar. It's not a huge NIL infrastructure. That's, that's at least going to be much better if not better at all. Steve, is it really as simple as Notre Dame's locating the state of Indiana and Penn state's locating the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Is it that simple? Because it kind of looks that way to me. And that's where I get a little frustrated. I think there's also something to be said for not just that it's in Indiana, but I think there's also something to be said about, a and maybe this is unfair um and so this is just me speaking off the cuff from my heart but i think there's something to be said about micah shrewsbury is a guy who likes being wanted and who doesn't right but i think there's something to be said about you know i took this team to the tournament for the first time in 20 years and i got calls i got coaches uh, and athletic directors, you know, banging down my door trying to get an interview with me. You know, I can get whatever I want. So I don't need to stay here anymore. I can go whatever flashy, shiny new thing um, that will interest me. Uh, and one thing that you talked about, Evan, you brought it up to me outside of the pod. Uh, aside from his NBA gig at, at, at Boston, Michael Shrewsbury has never stayed anywhere for longer than four years. Um, his contract with Notre Dame is reportedly seven. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take the under on him being t- there seven years from now. I was going to say I'll take a I'll take a fairly decent bet that uh, he's not there seven years. I think the average was two point four four years at every stop he's had since two thousand, and that includes the five year stint um, in, in the NBA with Boston. He he hops. There's no doubt about that. I guess I just wish he had hopped somewhere that was significantly better. And I don't, I don't think Notre Dame is that right now. I, I, it's, it's probably even, and they have the history, so that's fine. I'll give them that. But it's not wildly better. I mean, he's, he's got his guys coming in. We, you know, that, that'll be a whole other pod. Who knows what's going to happen with, with the recruits, with his son. I mean, obviously today there was news about Caleb Dorsey and Diane Johnson entering the portal. That's not really a surprise. I think they were leaving no matter what. Seth Lundy announced he's going to go to the NBA. Good for him. He's done his four years. We can't blame that. What about? Mahaffey, Jai, Carrie Booth, incoming recruit. We got some big questions on the horizon for this program, Steve. Yeah, and I think to just hammer home the point about you know Notre Dame being you know either parallel or a, a slight step a step down from where he is at Penn State, he has more of a a, a kind of a, a broader rebuild at Notre Dame than he would have had had he had he stuck it out through this year here. He had already kind of started a foundation here. You know, he still had a, a, a top 30 class coming in uh, this season. Um, yes, all of the starters were leaving, um, but he he still had, 
you know, some, some, you know, really good freshmen, Kebajai, you know, number two all time uh, at, at Penn state. And from a recruiting uh, perspective, you know, you know, you had three more years of him. You had, you know, we saw the development of Evan Mahaffey. Um, and uh, we saw Kanye Clary really come into his own towards the end of the season as well. So, and, and he obviously showed that he can find talent in, in the portal. So, you know, you, you kind of had a sense here that, well, maybe it wasn't going to be a huge step down this year. Probably wasn't going to be second round NCAA tournament, but you thought maybe they could hang around 500, maybe approach um, NIT if they were able to get a couple, you know, decent, you know, portal gets. Uh, obviously all of that's kind of out the window now, but um, at Notre Dame, you know, I mentioned there's there's portal difficulties there. The, the roster is is much more bare. The cupboard's much more bare. Uh, Notre Dame is starting from almost the bottom um, in, in the ACC. Um, Steve, it is more bare, but their 2022 recruiting class is better than Shrewsbury's here at Penn State. It was very, it was a high, it was top 20 recruiting class. So that was better. So there's some young talent there. Now for this upcoming year, they only got one guy point guard signed right now. And that could all change, right? Any one of those players could leave or come back. So who actually knows what's going to happen there. Um, but th- you know, they at least their 2022 recruiting class was actually better than Penn state's. It, it, it will be interesting to see kind of how, you know, keep kind of an eye on that, on him there and kind of see how quickly he's able to kind of rebound um, over at Notre Dame and, and, and see what, um, you know, how quickly he's able to kind of write the ship and, and if he's able to, to, to write the ship there and how long that, um, that honeymoon period that we talk about lasts, um, um, at Notre Dame, um, for, for Penn state, I know you hinted at it a little bit earlier, you know, just trying to figure out where we go from here. Uh, Adam Fisher is going to get a, a a good look. Um, you know, he is the top assistant under Shrewsbury. Um, he, uh, again, reportedly has uh, zero desire to leave State College. So it is not likely that he's going to just follow Micah Shrewsbury um, wherever he goes. Um, he, he He's raising a family here. He's got, uh, he has ties here. He's been here before. Um, and he um, was the top recruiter under Micah Shrewsbury. He recruited Kerry Booth. He recruited Braden Shrewsbury. Um, he um, scouted all of the the best opponents for for Penn State this year. He he scouted uh, A and M. He scouted Purdue. He he scouted uh, Indiana. Uh, scouted Northwestern. Um, so he's had a more kind of hands on role in in this uh in this team's development this year and as evan talked about um all of the you know many players i I should not say all many players have come out uh in the uh immediate aftermath of this news uh to put their support behind uh coach fisher uh to get the to get the job it would be his first head coaching job um he has never been a head coach he was an assistant under uh coach laranega at miami um and um, is now again the top assistant uh, currently um, under Michael Shrewsbury, but he will get a he will get a decent look, and and the support of, of players like Jalen Pickett um, will not go unnoticed or unappreciated um, by um, by the athletic department by by Pat Kraft. True, true though, but they're all gone. Sure, I mean a lot. There's been a lot. I think it was I said I've seen Dread, I've seen Funk, I've seen um, Pickett, like we mentioned, Sam Sesums. Haven't heard that name since our. Uh, portal recap pod back in December uh, all tweeting out for Adam Fisher which which is pretty cool but again none of those are, none of them are wearing the blue and white 
I asked Steve a trivia question earlier and said, right now, as the lineup stands, knowing Dorsey and Johnson are in the portal and Lundy's going pro, who is our leading uh, minutes guy returning for the team next year? It's Keba Jai, freshman, less than 600 minutes. We have no returning minutes right now. And of course, that's going to change, obviously, portal and stuff like that. Um, but, but right now, we have no one returning with any experience next year. And that's assuming someone like Keba Jai stays. Which yeah, you know, we're not we're not here to float rumors out. I don't think that's that's really the the part that's occurred yet. That's the next step. Um, it's funny. I was just writing an article about potential um, you know replacements, and and Adam Fisher definitely on there. And and I was thinking to myself as I'm writing this, I'm like, didn't I didn't I just write this article two years ago? And I look back, I'm like, yeah, I wrote this exact article two years ago. Now obviously different names and a different situation, but uh, Steve, I, I don't know what you want from the next guy. I want someone with ties to Penn State who will stay here if and when they achieve success, like a Pat Chambers. Something I'm not obviously I'm a Pat guy. We know that it's, it's not going to be Pat. All right, I'm, not, I'm not saying Pat's going to come back here, but I, I think we're seeing the flaw at Penn State, especially of trying to hire the the next big thing and not being willing to support them because they're not just going to stay here because it's Penn State. Now Fisher falls that category, so I'm cool with that. Um, but I, I don't. I don't want to go to any current NBA assistant coach anywhere. I have no interest in that. If they don't have ties to Penn, and I know I'm sounding like an old crusty alumni, but it's because we can't support them to stay any other way. If we could, Micah Shrewsbury would still be our coach, but potentially. I think the ties or some reason that's going to keep them around here when, if and when they achieve success is going to be crucial. What do you think, Steve? So the names, some of the names that are being floated out there right now, again, this is all very, very preliminary. Um, because this news is still very fresh. Um, I'm hearing a lot of Matt Langle. He's the head coach of Colgate right now. And um, again, it's been reported that he is not taking interviews um, for uh, changes right now. Is that because he just wants to stay at Colgate? Or is it because he was waiting for the right job to open up? We don't know. Um, but uh, Matt Langle has been um, – is a name that's been floated out there. He is a, uh, an offensively minded coach. Colgate ran a very similar um, offensive set this year to, uh, to Penn state. They had the best three point percentage in the country this year. So, um, you know, very, very similar mindset to, um, to, uh, to Penn state. Matt Lengel does have some kind of <laughs> secondary Penn state ties. He was the assistant head coach uh, under Fran Dunphy at Temple in 2011 and he also recruited uh, somebody by the name of Juan Fernandez, um, who hit the game-winning shot to beat Penn State in the 2011 NCAA tournament. Hit me when I'm down, Steve. Hit um, me when I'm down. But Lengel is a is a Pennsylvania guy. He's a Penn yes. grad, right? So yes. you do have a little bit of a connection there, and it's a Pennsylvania thing. You know, we James Franklin when he signed uh, for the football team didn't have a Penn State connection, but he had a Pennsylvania connection. He's a Langhorn yeah. guy, right? So yep. you have you have those kind of local-ish ties to the university that kind of draw you to to kind of want to stick around and, and stay here. So Lingle has that capability. We talked about Fisher. Um, uh, Pat Kelsey's another name that's thrown out there. Uh, Bob Ritchie's name is thrown out there. Uh, Mike Rhodes at VCU is thrown out there. Mike Rhodes is a Philly guy. So, you know – in a nutshell, Evan, I, I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily need someone who has a Penn State tie. Um, I know a name that you're going to throw out there that others may throw out there is Keith Ergo. Look, I, I Keith, A-10 Coach of the Year, um, far be it for me to say 
we shouldn't go after Keith Ergo. And I think they may give him a look and, and may try to have a conversation with them. But I don't think Keith Ergo is going to want to come back here. Um, he's he's you know his guy um, for again lack of a better phrase got canned. He got fired. Um, you know his his top guy and and, and he wasn't treated very well by the um, the outgoing um, administration. I'm not sure that's the reason he wouldn't come back, Steve. I, I mean, I, I don't think the administration would hire someone so closely tied to a coach there that goes so recently. Um, and, and I listen, I am going to bring up Keith Ergo, but it's mostly in jest. But the only reason I bring it up is that in the past, we've had a lot of success, being relative, but success, hiring high-level or mid-major, you know, high-mid-major or mid-major coaches that have a, a track record of success. Well, Ergo's only had one year, but he's done exactly what you'd look for. A-10's a real mid-major. It's a high mid-major. Maybe not even a mid-major, depending how you want to find it. He was coach of the year in his first year. That is the type of guy we would potentially usually look at in these type of situations. I I would be stunned if it were him. I think it'd be awesome. Uh, I would be very surprised if it were him. But that's the type of guy that I think we should go for. And let's use this groundswell of support that, yeah, the NIL is not where Michael Shrewsbury wanted it to be. But obviously there's more there now than there was two years ago, three years ago, right? So we have a better base. Maybe we can. Maybe we don't have to take a giant step back. We can actually step forward. Even in Shrewsbury's first year, we took a giant step back, took a big step forward again this year. What's going to happen that next year? Someone like an Ergo or a Fisher may be able to minimize that, you know, that bigger step back that I really have no interest in taking. And 2012, right? Pat Chambers' first year, he took a, took a huge step back. It was a couple of years. It'd be nice to not have to do that. I think I would lean. I mean, obviously, Kurt Ego, because, you know, we know him would be would be interesting. Fisher has a lot of interest because he can keep the recruits around potentially. Now, in full disclosure, that was the argument I used for Jim Ferry getting the gig full time when Myron Jones and other players said, hey, we'll stay if it's if it's Fisher um, uh, Wheeler. Excuse me, if it's Fisher, <laughs> forgive me if it's Ferry. Um, uh, Wheeler was huge about that. He said, I'm, I'm staying if it's Jim Ferry. Um so I don't know. That argument kind of fell flat two years ago. Does it fall flat now? Maybe Fisher doesn't keep him around. If he can, if he can keep the the freshman here and the incoming recruiting class, I'm I'm not going to count Braden. I think it's probably reasonable to expect Braden Shrewsbury not to be playing here, and that's fine. Um, really, if he can keep Kerry Booth, it's probably worth it, even if he is a little bit inexperienced. The last guy was pretty unexperienced, and it worked out okay for a very short amount of time. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I'm torn. I I I don't. Adam Fisher would not be my first choice. I'll say that. I, I think who would be, if I may, who would be? Um, I really like Matt Lengel a lot. Um, I, I think he's had sustained success at a a program and a league that prior to um, his arrival at Colgate had been dominated by other schools. Colgate was never a real dominant kind of basketball program in the Patriot league until he got there. Um, And now they've pretty much run roughshod over the entire Patriot league over his entire tenure since he's been there. I think that's a positive sign. Um, um, And I think he's that kind of Pat Chambers esque kind of guy who's um, had success at the mid major level and is just wants the opportunity to prove himself at a bigger conference. And I don't think he would take this job for granted and use it as a way to um, propel himself to uh, something bigger or better. I think 
he would be very um, grateful and loyal to Penn State were he to get this job. Um, not to say Adam Fisher wouldn't, um, but given the choice, I would lean in the direction of somebody who has not just head coaching experience, but a, a history of a sustained success uh, at a program and is able to recruit effectively um, um, to the program. Um, and, and I think Lingle, Lingle brings that. Um, plus, I think, he's just a, I think he's just a smart guy. If you ever watch like interviews with him, um, if you ever hear him talk about basketball, he 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 knows his stuff. Um, he's a he's a numbers guy, um, which I like. Um, I'm a data guy too. So I don't know. I just I, I think it's it's not it's not the flashiest name. Um, well, I think Lingel he's a flashier name than Fisher, don't you think? Sure, Fisher's all, Fisher's not a flashy name. All things being relative, I don't think yeah. any of these names are super flashy. Um, but yeah, I think relative to Adam Fisher, uh, you know, Lingell is, is 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 a is a nicer name. Um, yeah, so that that'd be my pick. Um, I wouldn't be you know entirely disappointed if it was Adam Fisher again, just because of the like you said that um, that continuity factor um, in him staying here. Um, I just I worry that he's not quite ready just yet to take that step, and it would be a um, it'd be a question mark. Um, were he to uh, were he to get that job, so I don't. If um, if if Carrie uh, Booth comes out and says I'm staying, if it's Adam Fisher, you cool with Adam Fisher? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. Yeah, but I also don't want us to be held at gunpoint. Well, that's fair by a, oh, an, an incoming that, recruit who hasn't yeah. played a game. You know what I mean? No, uh, man, I hear you. I guess I meant more just that that realm of things. That's kind of where I'm looking. Uh, but again, I wanted that two years ago, and, and it didn't work. I'm also wondering. I feel like um, the Colgate coach might be a little bit better at um, at building from the ground up, and I, I don't listen. I I don't think that's what Micah Shrewsbury did at all. I think maybe that was his long term plan, but he absolutely did not build from the ground up. Right? He portal portal got guys that he needed. Right and and made this run. Um, ne- next year was going to be a step back, no matter what, no matter how good his portal guys were. That was going to happen. You're not going to get another Jalen Pickett um, that easily. And so I'm also wondering. That's that's probably also part of why I think this also seemed inevitable. If you look at the the way he coached, the way he recruited, it it does seem like that was the play to get good real quick. And and if it's not sustainable, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be gone. Steve, I think one other thing that we didn't talk about that I meant to bring up. Um, I think the way it, we think the way he likes to play is far more conducive to the ACC than the Big Ten. This game never made sense with the Big Ten. And that's weird because he did coach in Purdue for a while, right? Under Matt Painter, the king of bigs, right? But I mean, we, we saw it this year. We, we didn't we didn't play a center most of the time, right? And that you can get away with that a lot more in the ACC. It's not a better or worse thing. I mean, this year the Big Ten was obviously substantially better than the ACC, but I think the the way he he wants to coach, and again with the caveat of we think, because we saw two very different teams, although they did look more similar towards the end, it does fit better in the ACC or even the Big East, which is probably where I think we thought he was going to end up. It just turned out to be the ACC instead. Yeah, it just to to hammer home the the Fisher point. Look, it, it's it is really difficult to jump from being a an assistant to. Uh, a head coach at a, at a power conference program. Um, Micah Shrewsbury in that way, I believe is largely the exception and not the rule. And I don't think we should be using that as a template for um, anybody else that we would bring in. 
I I think it would make more sense both for him and for me as a fan for Fisher to maybe go to, I know he's been rumored as a, a candidate for the, the temple opening, go to like a, you know, a mid-major school, take the job there as a head coach, kind of figure it out for a few years at a, at a, you know, a lower level school. And then um, use that as a way similar to what, you know, Lango's doing at Colgate. Use that as a way to then get in and take that step up to a conference program. I feel like there has to be a step in between being an assistant at a power conference program to being a head coach at a power conference program and not a direct jump from one to each. Um, again, Jim Ferry had that, but Jim Ferry, keep in mind, was also a head coach before. Um you know, before he became an assistant at Penn State, he was a head coach, right? He was head coach at Duquesne. Adam Fisher's never been a head coach ever in his in his career. So it's it's a similar parallel to Shrews, although again, like I said, I, I don't think Shrews is is the rule there. I would I would paint him as more of the exception. Um I think all being said and done, it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to see a path in which Penn State does not struggle mightily um, for both um, on-court success and um, fan support for probably another three, four years at, at minimum. Um, we saw how long it took just for the, the fan base to buy in to this team and this guy. And the second they did, he left. And that's not going to leave a good taste in the mouth of some of the more casual Penn State basketball fans. No, it's not. I don't know. It's interesting. I think we could, we could see it go in a lot of different directions. You know, people reaching out to at least me. I don't know if they were doing Will Steve saying, "Well, there's no way he's leaving. Look, he's got he's got portal guys coming to visit." And I responded the same way every time. I said, "Yeah," and he can sell him. He doesn't have to sell Penn State. Now, who knows if the St. Francis Center is thinking about Notre Dame now? I have no idea. I'd like to think that because St. Francis is right down the road, he'd still be considering Penn State to be a great get. But it's pretty easy for Shrewsbury to talk to a recruit about his system and his role and his fit without talking about the school. Um, I, you know, who knows what happened Monday uh, when, when that recruit visited, but that's how it happens. I mean, it, it's this is. You know, a couple people reaching out to me too saying, well, if it didn't happen right away on Monday, it's not going to happen. Listen, that game was late Saturday night. Right. They, they sure they didn't get back here till Sunday, Wednesday afternoon. This was wrapped up. That's quick. 60 hours. Right. Assuming give it from Monday morning to Wednesday afternoon. That's how long it took for, for Notre Dame to, to come in. It sounds like from all reports, if he never even went to their campus, nope. he never even went to their campus. Not like he's never been to Notre Dame before. I'm sure he's seen the campus, but it's not like they had to, to, to wine and dine him. The rumors are they met out in Pittsburgh for crying out loud. I blame Steve for not meeting them and bringing them. <laughs> That's Steve's fault. Um, I don't know. I, I just keep coming back to, it seems like I, I think this was always Shrewsbury's plan. Good for him. He's allowed to do it. It worked well. Um, it does seem like a, a bit of a, a, a diss to Penn state. Um, there's obviously administrative reasons that happens as well, but it hurts that he he's made this a stepping stone job, and I, I don't want it to be that way. I don't care if it takes the next coach, whether it's Fisher, uh, Fisher, Langle, whomever, uh, some time to build it up. Um, you know, like a la Pat Chambers, I have no problem with that because I want someone who wants to be here, 
At the end of the day, I want someone who wants this job, who respects what Penn State is, even if they don't have a ton of basketball history, and will enjoy in that success because it's the success they built together and not just a way to get to somewhere else. That's that's the number one thing that I want from whoever is the next head coach of this team. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, to put it more succinctly, I want someone to revel in the challenge, right? I think there is some joy to be said in taking a program that is, <laughs> at this point, as, as Evan tweeted out from our account before we start recording, cursed, um, and, and turn it into a consistent success program. And there is something to be said about being able to take trash and turn it into treasure. And um, I want a coach that's going to revel in the challenge of being able to do that and not try to make a quick fix or to capitalize on, um, you know, being left with a fairly decent um, cupboard capitalizing on it to some degree or capitalizing on, on your own past success to get a quick fix and quick success and then taking the next best offer and to get out of town. I want someone to come in here. Who's going to a um, not just work with the athletic department, um, but also hold them accountable and kind of, um, you know, you know, make them, you know, not, kind of force them to work with him um and but in the right but in the right way sure it doesn't seem like that this happened under the last regime it seemed like she's realized there were issues and and went to him and said hey, this isn't good enough and they, and they you know they got a little bit but it didn't work right so whatever the strategy was there it didn't work you need someone whether it's not understanding the expectations or what you're getting when you come into the job which maybe is the issue with Shrewsbury. we don't know but understanding that like incremental progress is a lot sometimes it might not be what you need, but it seemed like it was more of a combative relationship, and maybe that's part of why we ended up where we're at today, Steve. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. No, but I, I'm just saying that I, I want a coach who's going to see the challenges in front of him and understands them, um, but uses them not as an excuse but as a, a motivating factor to improve everything for the better. And um, – I've been a I, I've I've been a critic of, of Pat Chambers, and I certainly don't believe that he um, was um, personally. I don't believe that he was the guy to to lead Penn State over the next five to ten years or whatever. But um, Pat Chambers entered the program at a time where it was the most downtrodden it had uh, it could have possibly been, and he saw that. Um, that badge as a um, motivational factor. And he said, okay, well, I understand that this is going to be a difficult task, but I am up for it and I'm just going to stick it out and do things my way. And I'm going to do everything I can to get this program to where it, it needed to be. And sure. You can argue it took a little bit longer than um, it, probably he himself would have wanted it to take, but he got the program there. Um, he was able to execute his vision and 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 build the program to a point where um, it was um, it was successful for a, a good stretch of time there. And I, I want a coach who's going to be able to who's going to want to do that. Who's going to want to say, "I know this is going to be tough, but I I'm happy to be here and I am willing to stick it out and I want to I want to gut it out and see it through. I'm not just going to depart for the next shiny object that that comes my way." And I want a coach that's honestly commit to that. Now, you're probably not going to get him to say that in the in directory press conference. 
Um, but I want a coach who's going to come in here and, and say all the right things about about how he how he sees this program in reality where it is now um, and how he can get it there in the future. And um, yeah, I also want to see an administration that helps build my trust back in it. Um, you know, this is not a good look for um, a fresh new AD and a fresh new president um, for, for Penn State. Um, it's just not. Although to be clear, Steve, I think the president should have bigger fish to fry than worry about sure. the basketball coach. Sure. The AD, I will absolutely give you. The president has more important things to worry about. Um, so, so Kraft has some has some reclamation to do here, right? So he's got to he's got to figure out some of the things that he could have done better and do them better um, because he cannot screw it up a second time. Um, and um, it's on us as fans to hold him accountable, right? So um, I want to see all of this happen. And I'm trying to remain optimistic here at the end um, because I, I, I do believe that ultimately the, the, the floor has been raised for what Penn State can be and should be. Um, and both Chambers and Shrewsbury have helped that elevate that floor. And so I, I want to believe that the next coach, whoever he is, will come in here and keep that floor at elevated and, and recognize that, that this program can be successful quickly. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for sure. It's just a sad day, and I think it's okay to feel sad, um, even if – it does seem, at least, in, at least in my eyes, there's some sort of inevitability that this day was going to come. Uh, two, two years is tough. It, it really is tough. I, I don't know how else to phrase that. And there's nothing we're going to say that's going to that's going to change that. Um, but I think Steve's point is so right that you know, listen, when we were student section fans back in what was called Nittany Nation back in the uh, pre 2010 era, uh, we were horrible. We were absolutely horrible. We would have, we would kill for three or four Big Ten wins a year, and we didn't get them. Um, the floor is so much higher than it's ever been for this program, way higher. Uh, I, I will, will definitely make the argument that the last six years, and that includes last year's pretty bad year, the best six-year stretch in program history for sure, as the previous four were at these two now with an NCAA tournament win. The, ceil- the, the, the floor is higher. Now the ceiling is also higher, but we still got to get there. But the key is that floor has been raised higher we got to keep it there, though. We can't go. We can't take steps backwards, and that probably starts with trying to keep some of the freshmen in the program and trying to keep, um, you know, the, the recruits in. No matter what, Steve, we're going to be looking at a whole team next year of a lot of players we don't know, just like last year and two years ago. Uh, one of those years worked better than the other. Uh, definitely frustrating for us as fans. I think just there's no continuity, and this is this and this is our this is going to be our fourth head coach in five years. That's that's what we're running into right now. That, that kind of stinks, but it is what it is, I guess. It didn't think it would be so soon that we would hop back on the air with an emergency podcast. Um, let's go I, missed the eight, I missed the 18-3 podcast. Those were more fun emergency podcasts. Um, we're run, making a run of the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, we got to number nine in the nation, and I always joke that God laughs at Penn State basketball, so we create an international pandemic. Here we win an NCAA tournament game. God laughs and said, no, nah, I'm going to send it to my Catholic church school instead. Well, that's the Penn State basketball story for you, and that's for some reason why Steve and I have chosen to follow this program, uh, live or die, for so many years. And that, listen, we said we're going to be here all off season. We didn't think it would all be perfect news. We didn't think it would be three days later, but here we are. 
for a program with uh, consistently, uh, as of late, more bad news than good. Um, it's just uh, an unfortunate cherry on, on top of everything. Um, look, we, we're, we're over an hour here. We'll wrap it up. Um, just, just, it's just sad. I think it's just sad all around. Um, sad for everybody, probably except Micah, um, um, who gets a, a really big payday and gets to go back home. Um, uh, back to Indiana. Um, but um, life will go on. Pets Day will have another head coach, and um, we will find some reason to be optimistic uh, about about the future of, of this program. Um, we'll find a player. We'll find a new player to like. Um, we'll find a new uh, a coach to, um, to critique, and uh, life will move on. But uh, it's okay. It's okay to, it's okay to be sad. Um, and, and it sucks. It just does. Um, we'll be back, um, probably on Sunday. Um, we had this really cool interview kind of lined up and I think we're still going to go through with it, but it may have a little bit of a different tone now than it would have, uh, would have otherwise. Um, but look, we're here with you. We're going to be here with you through the whole process. We'll keep you updated. Obviously any big news that comes across, uh, Evan and I will get together and we'll record another podcast and uh, let you know our thoughts and, and kind of things that we know as we know them. Um, but um, I, I guess the next big thing to, to come out of Penn State is going to be um, the players that decide to stay or, or leave and um, what the who the new head coach was going to be. That's the kind of the next big news that we're waiting on now. And obviously, uh, once that news does come out, we'll be uh, we'll be here to report it for you. Um, but. Uh, Until the next time we talk to you, uh, again, probably on Sunday, Um, he's Evan, I'm Steve. We're going to sign off for the premiere, the best, the only Penn State basketball podcast, Shots Gotta Fall. Take care, everybody.